0: We're going to continue today in our study through the book of Acts. And in this book, uh, we've been really focusing on Jesus' call to his disciples to be his witnesses. In Acts chapter 1 verse 8, Jesus gave us basically the outline for this book where Jesus said that you are to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and then to the ends of the earth. And as we've been studying through the book of Acts That's been the way that our story is chronologically unfolding. Uh, In chapters 1 through 7, we saw that the disciples were his witnesses in Jerusalem. Uh, In chapter 8 and 9, we saw that they started being his witnesses in Judea and Samaria. And then last week, as we saw in uh, chapter 10, um, they were going forth as his witnesses to the Gentiles um, to the ends of the earth. Um, So as we saw in chapter 10, the gospel has now Gone forward out of kind of mainly Jewish communities and was starting to reach the Gentile communities. Gentiles being anybody who's not a Jew. And so uh, what did we see last week? Peter, the apostle, took the gospel to a man named Cornelius, a Roman man. And this Gentile, Cornelius, he believed in Christ and was saved and was baptized, as was his whole family. So that's where we left off in chapter 10. Today we're going to be getting into chapter 11. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 18. And here's how I want to work through today's message. Uh, First, we're going to look at verses 1 through 3 and really understand the setting of what's going on here because it really leads to the significance of the story. Then we're going to look at verses 4 through 15, where Peter um, recaps all the same events that we studied in chapter 10. And then we're going to look at verses 16 through 18, which bring us to the main point of the story. And as always, we're going to bring some application points that tie in to the main point of the message today. And here's the main point that I want you to leave here believing today. If you leave here believing one thing, one truth, here's the truth that I want you to believe today. It's this. It's because God's heart is for all the nations, we ought not stand in his way through ethnic prejudice. Because God's heart is for all the nations, we ought not stand in his way through ethnic prejudice. So whether or not you feel like you're a prejudiced person, uh, I believe that the word of God never returns empty. So if you will open up your heart today, uh, I believe that the Lord will have something to say to you. So may the Lord give us all ears to hear today what he is saying to his church, all right? Let's get into verse one together. Uh, Chapter 11, verse one says this, now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. Now, again, we, we've talked about this many times, but in case you're new to church, I just want to point something out. The word Gentiles is used here. Uh, if you grew up in church, you know that the word Gentile is basically a, a catch-all term that is used to refer to anybody who's not a Jew. Um, what you may not know is that the word Gentile in the original Greek language is actually the word ethnos, which is where we get our idea of the word ethnicity. Um, Ethnos means somebody who's a foreigner, somebody who's from another people or nation. And so that's where we get our idea of uh, ethnicities. Now, if you grew up uh, reading the King James Bible like I did, or other versions of Scripture, sometimes the word ethnos is translated as the word heathens, all right? And so uh, I don't know about you, but I don't want you to be confused about that if you have one of those older translations of scripture here, because when I think of heathens, I think of like demon-possessed people and toddlers, and <laughs> <laughs> sometimes they overlap, right? Like it's, um, so, you know, uh, just know that whenever the word, you know, ethnos is used, it's, it's talking about the nations. Sometimes it's translated Gentiles, other times it's translated heathens, but here's the thing. In our text, this is referring to Gentiles, which are people from you know, any, any non-Jew. And so the most, for the most part, the Jews believed that they and they alone were God's kind of select, unique people who were privileged to receive his word through Moses and the law and the prophets. And that's why it's such a big deal that verse 1 says that the Gentiles received the word of God, okay? That would have been a very unique thing in the first century when this text was written. Now, you'd think that the Jews in Judea who heard that the Gentiles received the word of God, you'd think that they'd be happy about that, right? As we're gonna see in our text, it's just not the case. So look at verse two and three. It says, so when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him saying, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them? All right, so we've gotta remember, Peter has just been at Cornelius' house in Caesarea. He, chapter 10 said that he stayed with them for a while, um, very likely teaching them the word of God, but now he has made his way back to Jerusalem. And verse 1 tells us that these believers in Jerusalem, they had already heard how the Gentiles received the word of God. So that was spreading quickly. Like the word got back to Judea and Jerusalem um, you know, faster than Peter even got there. So, you know, word is, is spreading quickly. So you'd think that these Jews who uh, were believers in Jerusalem, you'd think that they'd be happy. You'd think they'd come with questions like, oh, wow, they, they received the word? Like, how did they receive it? What was their response? Did any of them trust in Jesus as Messiah? But that wasn't their first response. Their first response is, what, Peter? You ate with them? You hung out with them? It's like some of you, you know, imagine imagine that uh, somebody from Ohio went to Michigan on a mission trip, and they come back, and all you OSU fans are like, not asking about the conversions and the salvations and the baptisms. You're just like, you went to that state up north, okay? This is like a similar thing as what's going on here. Instead of being excited, the locals were kind of appalled, right? So why did Peter get a reception like this? Here's why. It's because he is met by a group called the Circumcision Party. Um, Other times in scripture, they are referred to as the Judaizers. This is a group of Jews who had become believers that Jesus was indeed the Messiah, um, but What they believed was that a person had to convert to Judaism first before he or she could actually be considered part of the messianic uh, people of God in his covenant. And so in particular, they said, if you're a male, then you had to go through the Jewish custom uh, of being circumcised. And so that's the circumcision party. And you can see that they were kind of elitist like that. They thought that being Jewish and adhering to other Jewish customs uh, made you better than other people. And so remember, I shared with you guys last week that it was not customary for Jews to fellowship with Gentiles. It wasn't usual for a Jew to take a Gentile into their home and eat with them and fellowship with them. And so the Jewish leaders of the day, in Peter's day, they taught that if you came in contact with a Gentile, that you were considered, undefi- that you were considered defiled or unclean. Um, And so that wasn't necessarily a teaching of Jewish scripture, but that had become a teaching of religious tradition that the Jewish leaders of the day had started to pass down. So you can see the prejudice that existed in their hearts at that time. And here's what I want you to remember. When when Peter is dealing with the circumcision party here in and around Jerusalem, he's dealing with people who had become believers in Jesus. These guys actually believed that Jesus was the Messiah. They just said, you know, you got to, you got to become a Jew first before you can actually be part of the Messianic people. And so this is this was their belief. And here's, you know, we're, we're prone to like judge them real quick or to get, you know, kind of aggressive. But here's what I want you to remember. They didn't have the Bible, the New Testament Bible that we have right now. They didn't have the book of Romans or the book of Galatians where the Apostle Paul really came against this idea that Jesus plus anything else makes you saved. They didn't have that. This, these were the first group of believers that had been confronted with the idea that God actually had a heart for all the nations, not just the Jews. They didn't quite understand it all yet, but as we see later in the book of Acts, especially Acts chapter 15, they're going to get it. They're going to understand it soon. But these are early believers in Jerusalem who had years worth of teaching and experiences under their belt. It's likely that some of the people who were part of this circumcision group were also some of the great number of priests who um, came to the faith back in Acts chapter 6. Um, but it, man, it's just sometimes it's just hard to give up the traditions you've held, isn't it? It's just hard to to move past some beliefs and things that you've held in your heart, and it was hard for them to move past the prejudice that they had in their heart against Gentiles. So that's why the Jews are criticizing Peter in verse 3. So in verse 4 and 5 of chapter 11, Peter recaps to this circumcision party all the events that had taken place back in chapter 10. So remember, as Peter's sharing this with them, remember, he used to believe like them. He had the same kind of background that they had, but now he had an experience with God that they had not yet had, and it changed his understanding. So let's hear him recap the story here, starting in verse 4. But Peter began and explained it to them in order. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, something like a great sheet descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to me. Looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air. And I heard a voice saying to me, rise, Peter, kill and eat. So again, this is what we learned in chapter 10. Peter had this vision. Sheet came down from heaven. It had all sorts of animals in it that Peter was forbidden to eat, By Jewish law, you can read about that in Leviticus chapter 11. Yet in this vision, three times he hears a voice telling him to rise, Peter, kill and eat. So Peter says in his vision, here's how he responded to that voice. Verse 8. But he said, uh, by no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. So Peter is taking um, this, this voice that he's hearing, he's taking it at face value he is responding to like what he's hearing about food. And he says, uh, I've never eaten the things I'm not supposed to eat. I've, I've never eaten pork barbecue. I've never had bacon, which is a massive sin in and of itself. And Peter needed to repent, right? But Peter is pretty adamant about the fact that he's avoided unclean foods. But as we saw in chapter 10, God isn't really just addressing foods here. So Peter continues to explain. Verse nine, he says, but the voice answered a second time from heaven, what God has made clean do not call common. This happened three times and all was drawn up again into heaven and behold, at that very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were, sent to me from Caesarea and the spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. All right, so Peter is is now Hearing God making this point like, hey, Peter, don't make a distinction where I'm not making them. And so you can imagine Peter saying, okay, I saw a sheet with some animals and foods, and you're telling me not to make a distinction, Lord. What does this all mean? And right at that exact same moment, as we saw in chapter 10, God provides the answer to what it really means. Because three unclean Gentile men showed up at Peter's gate at that time. Remember, they had been sent from Cornelius And the Holy Spirit spoke to Peter's heart and said, go with those men. Don't make a distinction. Don't avoid those common uh, Gentiles. You know, even if they're considered unclean by others, you go with them. So here's the point. The Spirit was revealing to Peter that his vision wasn't simply about God's view of food, but it was about God's view of people. And that's what we focused on last week. Now, remember, Peter is explaining to a group of the circumcision party, what's going on. He's telling them why uh, he ate with Gentiles, these non-Jewish, unclean men. And he says it's because of the Holy Spirit's leading. Continue on in verse 12. He says, these six brothers, again, the the three that had come from Cornelius and three of Peter's friends, they accompanied me also, and we entered the man's house. That's Cornelius's house. And he, Cornelius, he told us how he had seen the angel of the Lord in his house, Um Stand in his house and say, send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter, and he will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. So Peter is just emphasizing, here's how this all came about. Here's how the Lord brought this all together. An angel of the Lord appeared to Cornelius. The spirit of the Lord spoke to Peter. The Lord made Cornelius ready to hear. The Lord made Peter ready to go. So the Lord's hand was at work. And then Peter says this in verse 15. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us at the beginning. Now, what's he talking about there? He's talking about how the Holy Spirit fell upon the Jews on the day of Pentecost. He's saying that just like the Holy Spirit came on us and we spoke in tongues and were filled with the Spirit. Just like that happened to us in Pentecost, it happened to Cornelius and his household in Caesarea. And so, Peter is describing the powerful work of the Holy Spirit. And isn't it true that as we've studied the book of Acts, over and over again, we've seen that it's the Holy Spirit who's at work, right? Over and over, we saw that the Spirit um, was promised by Jesus in Acts chapter 1. The Spirit fell on the apostles and the Jews in Acts chapter 2. The Spirit filled Peter as he preached in chapter 4. The Spirit killed Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5. The Spirit filled Stephen and the first deacons in Acts chapter 6. The Spirit directed Philip and was received by the Samaritans in chapter 8. The Spirit came upon Saul and the Spirit comforted the church in Acts chapter 9. The Spirit sent Peter to Cornelius and came upon the Gentiles in chapter 10. Guys, you can't help but read the book of Acts and see that the Lord Jesus works powerfully through the person of the Holy Spirit. That work in the early church. He empowered their preaching and he enabled the believing. He convicted the sinner and he called the saints. He sent the believers and he saved the lost. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. And part of the lost people that he's saving includes the lost Gentiles. Now this would have been, again, unthinkable in the mind of the Jews. And so Peter recaps these events to them in chapter 10, and look what he says next in verse 16. He says, And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So you have to remember, Peter would have initially been just as surprised as anyone else that the Holy Spirit was coming upon the Gentiles. Until he had his vision with the sheet coming down and the clean and unclean. Until that happened, it wasn't clear to him that God was calling in the Gentiles to be saved. And then he found himself caught up in this spirit-filled moment where God was doing just that, saving the Gentiles. So how did Peter make sense of it all? Here's how he made sense of it all. He recalled the words of Jesus. And Jesus had told the disciples previously that they would be baptized. Those who followed him would be baptized, not just in water, but in the Holy Spirit, and that's exactly what is happening to the Gentiles in Cornelius's home. So Peter recalls that teaching of Jesus. He recalls that situation that he had just experienced with Cornelius, and then he brings it all to the point that he's making. He's bringing it all to his big conclusion by saying what he does in verse 17. Here's what he says. If then God gave the same gift to them, the Gentiles, as he gave to us, the Jews, when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that could stand in God's way? Who was I that I could stand in God's way? That's Peter's big point that he's making to his fellow Jews. And the point that Peter was making to his fellow Jews then is the same point that the Lord wants us to understand today. Because God's heart is for all the nations, we ought not stand in God's way through any sort of ethnic prejudice that's a big deal to us. This is is the teaching of scripture um, from start to finish. It was the teaching of Jesus when his birth was announced by the angels. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved, the apostle Paul says. Jesus himself said, I have sheep who are not of this fold when he was talking to the Jews. Paul would later write in Ephesians chapter two and three, that I am making one man out of two, out of the Jews and Gentiles. I'm bringing them together. In Christ there is neither Jew nor, free, nor, uh, nor Jew nor Greek, slave nor free. For we are all one in Christ," Paul would say. We. Now, Peter's language moves from, from them to us to we. You can see it in verse 17. God gave the same gift to them. Those people not in the group, them. He gave it the same gift to them that he gave to us, Jews, those who have always considered our, ourselves part of the group. And then there's we, right? When the us and the them come together, there's we. God makes us and them into we. And although this was news to like Peter and uh, the The circumcision party that he's talking to. The truth, guys, is that this has been God's plan from the beginning, from Genesis to Revelation. God's heart has always been for all the nations. We see it right in the early covenant promise to Abraham. Abraham's uh, promise in Genesis chapter 12 verses 2 and 3. Here's what God promised Abraham. I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. You get that? From the very beginning, God's Abrahamic covenant was a promise to bless all the nations. It was communicated through the prophets like Isaiah. When he's speaking about the Messiah in Isaiah chapter 49, verse 6, he says this, it, it is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and bring back the preserved of Israel. He's saying when, when the Messiah comes, it's, it's too light a thing. It's too small of a thing to just simply save the, the preserved in Israel. He says, I will make you as a light for the nations so that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Right? The, the salvation of Christ going to the ends of the earth. It was not just... Proclaimed by Jesus in Acts one eight, it was prophesied hundreds of years before that by Isaiah the prophet. Think about the same message being communicated when Jesus was still in Mary 's womb, when Zechariah prophesied these words, saying this, Luke chapter two, verse twenty nine through thirty two Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. So Christ, the baby in the womb, was intended all along to be a light to the Gentiles. Jesus himself would later say to the Jewish people in John 10, verse 16, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold, not just of the fold of Israel, and I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice, so there will be one flock, one shepherd. And then we go all the way from Genesis to Revelation and we get to the book of Revelation and we see this description of heaven and here's what the word says. And after this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and all peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God. Who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. So, church family, we've got to get this. From Abraham to the prophets, from the prophets to Jesus, from Jesus to now, and from now till Revelation, God's heart has always been for the nations. And in His church, He is making us and them become we. This is the way he's planned it from the beginning, and this is the way he's brought it together through Christ, so we ought not stand in his way through any sort of ethnic prejudice. Now, we're going to get to that application in just a moment, but for now, I just want us to see how this Jewish crowd of the circumcised party um, responded when Peter said he didn't want to stand in God's way. Here's how they responded. Look at verse 18 of Acts 11. It says, when they heard these things, they fell silent, and they glorified God, saying, then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. So they asked Peter, how could you do this? How could you go have dinner with these Gentiles? Peter shares his spirit-led experience, and the hostile crowd fell silent. But for just a moment... Because soon their silence was replaced with praise as they glorified God and they praised His name. Why? Because He had brought the repentance that leads to life to the Gentiles. It is hard for me to overstate to you how big of a deal this was in the first century. This was a major turning point in church history. These people who were all about the customs of the law, the exclusivity of Israel, the word of God being only for the Jews, you know, they, they were legalistic, prejudiced, elitist group. And yet after hearing Peter's witness, their hearts were softened and God humbled them and they could not deny that God had brought life to the Gentiles. And what was it that God did in the hearts of the Gentiles? that brought them this life. God granted them repentance. I know repentance is not a popular word to talk about in our culture. But if it's repentance that leads to life, I think we need to talk about it. Repentance, we can think of it as such a a negative term, like a, a, a drudgery of a thing. Yet we see that repentance here is what leads to life. And I just want to illustrate it this way. If, if I was driving toward a cliff and someone called out to me, turn around, and I turned around and stayed alive, there would be nothing negative about that call to turn around. There would not be nothing but life for me there and thankfulness and gratefulness. And that's what the call for repentance is. It's it's a call for you to turn around. You're living this way and it leads to death. But when you turn around and you turn your heart to the Lord, it leads to life. Repentance is a gift. God grants it to his people. God granted repentance that led to life to the Gentiles. And here's the thing. I'm so glad he did. You know why? Because if God had not granted repentance that leads to life, if he had not granted that to the Gentiles then I wouldn't be saved. And most of you wouldn't be saved because as far as I know, most of us are Gentiles, non-Jews. So all of that leads me to just four takeaways that I want to share with you today for us. How does this apply to our real life? Here we go. First one, first takeaway. Number one, may God grant you the repentance that leads to life. For some of you today, I want to call you in kindness and love. I want to call you to repent. Some of you in this room perhaps have, God has been someone you've been pushing away for a while. And in your heart, you know it. You used to live for him at one point, but your heart's grown cold. You might come to church now because your kids want to come or your spouse wants you to come, but you're, Maybe you just come because it's where you see your friends, but honestly, your, your heart's just growing cold to the Lord. And if you're honest, you're miserable on the inside. Well, Why is that? It's because you've turned away from God who gives life. And you need to return to Him and come back to Him. For some of you, you've been living in flat out rebellion, but it's not satisfying your heart. You, you've pursued the things of the world and all sorts of worldly pleasures, but honestly, there's just this deep longing in your heart. There's no life there. I call you to turn from the pursuit of the things of the world and pursue God and come to faith in Jesus Christ who died on the cross in your place for your sins so that you may have life and have it more abundantly. Repent and return to the Lord and you will find life in Him there. May God grant you the repentance that leads to life. Second takeaway, everybody in this room, we need to understand that opposing people simply because of their ethnicity is actually opposing God. When we oppose people in our hearts simply because of their ethnicity, we're not just opposing people, we are opposing God. Listen, all of mankind, God has made in His image. It has been God's plan to make salvation available to anyone who will believe. All who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Ethnic prejudice in our hearts opposes heaven. It opposes God's kingdom because in his kingdom there will be people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. And so if you think you can embrace ethnic prejudice in your heart and still make it to heaven, either you're going to have a really hard time in heaven or you just may not get there. Because God's heart has always been for all people. And that's why he sent his son. To save people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. When we oppose someone based simply on ethnicity, we oppose God. And let me just say it very directly. Uh, Opposing God is a losing battle. He will win. And his will will be accomplished. His purpose will stand. So if you find yourself with prejudice and racism, t- racist tendencies in your heart, hostility towards people from different backgrounds than you, I just want to say you'll, you'll find yourself angry, unsatisfied, bitter. It will be unfulfilling until you open up your heart and say, God, give me your heart, and his heart is a heart of love for all people. And just as he granted repentance to The Gentiles, for salvation, he also granted repentance to Peter and some from the circumcision party so that they could embrace God's heart for the nations and then rejoice in what God had done. So, don't oppose people because of their ethnicity or you'll just be opposing God. Third takeaway. Guys, whenever the Lord grows the ethnic diversity of our church, guys, we can rejoice, right? We... Not, not only we can rejoice, we should rejoice. I mean, think about this, right? The, when these elitist Jews finally heard Peter's testimony, God softened their heart, they did what? They rejoiced that the Gentiles were coming into the family. So church family, we too can rejoice when our church becomes more ethnically diverse. And let me just be straightforward. I get it. We're in Ohio. We're in Beaver Creek. It's pretty white here. Okay, I get it. But that needs to make us all the more glad when God graciously brings us non-white people who aren't exactly like us into this church because when he does, you know what that is? That's a gift that makes our church look a little bit more like heaven. So let's rejoice when God grows the diversity of our church. And last, consider how God wants you personally To be active in reaching the nations both locally and globally. Guys, I love that our church is growing with a desire to be on mission, to make him known. I love that that's part of our vision. I love that I see us taking more and more steps for outreach both locally and globally. It's there. I see small steps being taken, I see big steps being taken. I just want to encourage your hearts. You know, just like last week, we had folks from our church pick up homeless people and just bring them to church with them on Sunday. They were here. Two weeks ago, we had three people from our church who were serving in a mission trip in Uganda. A couple from our church recently just saw two international students who come to our church from Wright State University and just invited them out to dinner, out to lunch. A lady in our church volunteers at a pregnancy center, struck up a friendship with a Muslim woman, started talking to her about life and religion and faith, and now they're having conversations. Our missions team is working right now to become a sending church, for us to become a sending church for a missionary who wants to go to the Dominican Republic. We have a search committee right now in place that's searching for our next pastor of missions and mercy ministries. I see us taking small and big steps in order to join God's heart for the nations. So I just ask you today, what step, small or big, might the Lord be calling you personally to take um, in order to reach people locally and globally who are different than us, people from all nations? What step can you take? I believe the Lord will show you. If you actually ask Him and open your heart, consider me crazy. I think the Lord will actually show you. You know? He'll show me. I believe it. Because God's heart is for all the nations, we ought not stand in His way through ethnic prejudice. Rather, Let's join his mission to reach all people. Father, we, uh, we need your word to strike at parts of our hearts that can become hardened to you. And so, Lord, um, thank you for these past two Sundays to focus on these two chapters that, that are calling us to have your heart for the nation's. And so now, Lord, I specifically want to pray for anybody in our church who's really wrestling with prejudice and racist tendencies in their heart. Um, Lord, I pray that today you would just grant them to be the repentance that comes with just being honest with you. And Lord Jesus, I want to just thank you right now for the blood of Jesus that cleanses us from all sin, even the sin of racism and prejudice. And Lord, I pray that you might break that chain in somebody's heart today through the power of Christ. Lord, I pray um, that you would make us a church that as we, as we grow, that we would grow in activity both locally and globally to reach people who are different than us. Lord, would you bless our church with making us more diverse and making us look more like heaven. Lord, I pray that... Um, if there's anybody here today who has not yet been granted the repentance that leads to life in Jesus, I pray that today they would confess their sin to you, asking your forgiveness and believing that Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay for their sins and rose again three days later. I pray today that you might grant them the repentance that leads to life. Jesus, we praise you. You are a great Savior and we thank you that you have saved us. It's in your great name we pray. Amen.